Welcome to the Mixed Emotions podcast. My name is Teresa Clare. I'm the creator of the Game of Mixed Emotions and Lunchbox Notes, uh, which we call Love Snacks. Uh, Joining me is my co-host, child psychologist, Dr. Melanie Pearl. Good morning, Dr. Pearl. Good morning, Teresa. First, for those who don't know about the Game of Mixed Emotions, it is a simple card game that's used to introduce new emotional vocabulary words. So a child may know the word angry or mad, but does he or she know the words frustrated or worried? And when might they feel those emotions? So Dr. Pearl, you've been using the game of mixed emotions in your practice for a few months now, correct? Yes, I have. And can you tell parents how to use the cards other than just as a game? There are ways that you can use the cards when you don't have the time to play the game. Um, They are phenomenal tools for facilitating communication, whether you ask your child to choose from an array which one is most like how they're feeling, or whether you choose from an array and say, I'm looking at your face right now, and this is the one that I think looks most like what you look like. You know, and this one says sad. Are you feeling sad right now? And so then you're communicating to the child. You're helping to put a label on what it is that they're feeling. They are also a great tool for goal setting. So if a child can or you can identify what a child is currently feeling and that child wants to change the emotion, there's a card in the deck somewhere that is the target or the goal emotion. So you can physically, you can concretely use a card to set the start point. We're starting here at sad and we want to feel um, maybe happy maybe even excited. What do we have to do to get from, or what do we have to think to get from the starting point to the end point? So the cards themselves are great ways to make concrete those things that we might talk to our children about anyway, but children always learn better when they've got visuals and physical representations in front of them. Excellent. I just was listening and remembering when I use the cards with my own son, he was not wanting to go to camp and I wanted him to tell me what was going on. And so he went over and got one of the lunchbox notes. And, and so on the love snacks cards, it, it has on the back side, how do you feel today? And so he got his card and he circled the unhappy feeling. Uh, so on it, uh, it gives three different emoji faces. It was a sad face, a neutral face, and a happy face. And, and so he circled the uncomfortable face. And, and he was able to articulate that he didn't want to do the singing. And that was why he didn't want to go, because he had to sing at camp and he was feeling uncomfortable. And I said, okay, well, how about if I go in And I say, well, to the counselor, can he not sing today? Is that okay? Would you then feel comfortable? And he said, yes. And so I went with him. We talked to the counselor. She said it was fine. You don't have to sing. And I asked him before I left, I said, do you feel comfortable? Yes, I feel comfortable. So it was taking that next step from forcing him to go because he had to go so I could go to work <laughs> to to just being able to to have this quick conversation and understanding what he was really feeling and uh, so that he w- could get to that comfortable to stage. A beautiful thing that you did there too without even realizing is you helped him see that the uncomfortable feeling was not the totality of the experience. He's staring down a whole day at camp and he's telling you, I don't want to go because of the singing part. But as soon as you removed the singing part, he was fine. So all along there were other parts of camp there or other feelings 
having to do with camp that he was feeling at the exact same time he was feeling uncomfortable or sad about having to sing. And so as an extension, say you did have a little more time or if this comes up next summer, you can, or any parent can take out multiple cards and say, oh, the, the part of the singing makes you sad or makes you uncomfortable. What do you feel about the part of camp that has to do with swimming or snack time or hiking? And you can line the cards right up next to each other on the table or in the child's hand to show them that comfortable and uncomfortable can exist at the same time. And for some kids, like a mind-blowing revelation that you can have more than one feeling about the same exact event. I think it's a, it's going to be mind-blowing for a lot of people because being able to understand that I can have more than one emotion at the mm -hmm. same time, this is not something that we, we generally talk about. And it leads me into the explanation of our emotion category. So we have four different emotion categories. We have the four colors, red, blue, yellow, and green cards. And they're based on two schools of thought. The first is the zones of regulation. And Leah Kuypers, the creator of Zones, has reviewed the game and says that these brightly illustrated characters capture emotions well and can and the cards can be used in conjunction with most any social emotional learning tool to deepen learning through hands-on card games. And it's a lovely resource that can easily be used to supplement frameworks such as the zones of regulation to extend awareness of emotion through fun card games. The second is the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, and they have created a mood meter, which puts the emotions into four quadrants. This is a tool that I currently use almost every day for myself. They have an app, and I have it on my phone. And so we've added symbols to the colors to account for the 5 to 10% of boys who are colorblind. The y-axis on the grid represents energy levels and the x-axis is pleasantness, or how comfortable do you feel right now? Just close your eyes for a second, and you think about the y-axis on the grid, how much energy do you have right now? And if you think about the x-axis, how pleasant do you feel, how, or how comfortable are you feeling right now? And so that would be where you are, and you would be in placing yourself into one of those four categories. So our yellow sun cards are in the high energy, comfortable quadrant, and these emotions are joy, happy, helpful, excited, proud, and brave in our first deck. When I think about a sun, I'm standing on a beach and the sun's rays are giving me energy and I want to run and jump and climb and swim and I'm warm and I'm comfortable, I feel good, and I, I want to feel like this all the time. So Dr. Pearl, can you tell us why is this sustained happiness an impossible goal and why can't I feel sunny all the time? Well, part of the reason you enjoy feeling sunny or you enjoy that, that thought or even even the actual experience of being on the beach in the warm sun is because it's something that's out of your ordinary. It sparks your brain to pay attention to what's going on. If you were on a warm sunny beach all the time, constantly, it may lose its appeal to you after a while. Your brain might get used to it. There's something that happens to the brain or within the brain called habituation. And what that means is that our brains get used to something the longer we experience it and it becomes no longer novel um, no longer worthy of our attention and um, no longer experienced with the strength of the physical sensations that you're describing like when you're standing on the on the beach in the warm sun so um, biologically speaking forever experience of that warmth or that happiness is, is impossible. It doesn't jive with how the brain works. Um, but evolutionarily speaking, um, we also, believe it or not, we don't want to be happy all the time. 
A little bit or a moderate amount of discomfort is often what motivates us or signals that we need to change. And so ha because we're either motivated to escape that discomfort or we're motivated to pursue the happiness that we know we felt before and we know we can get back there. So a little bit of uncomfortable might make you more inclined to say, um, um, apologize to a friend that you may have inadvertently hurt or offended. And then that friend feels better. And then the strength of your social relationship is improved. And social relationships are good for human survival and, and, and human health. Or a little bit of discomfort or frustration, say, in your job may make you um, talk to your boss or learn some new skills to try to better your situation, ultimately then bringing back that state of happiness. So, so it's really much like some people will say, I really need to live in a place where I can experience the four seasons. I, my, my body and my brain just really like the change in the air. Bodies and brains really like the change between emotional states. So sustained happiness is, is boring and um, potentially not good for us from a growth perspective. I've noticed that when my, my kids are around, I want to feel, I want to be the happy mom, but sometimes I do feel upset. Like I'm sad because my son broke a lamp. I actually noticed that sometimes I have this swelling up inside me that I want to yell or I want to scream, and which I resist. But that is a high energy feeling, which is confusing because I, if I'm feeling sad or disappointed because something broke, why do I have a high energy reaction? And it's sometimes difficult in that moment. If feeling sad, I'm acting angry, how do I identify that? And so we've created the red high energy cards to help kids to identify those feelings. So the, those red fire, I feel like I have a fire inside me. Um, those high energy, car uncomfortable emotions are like mad, scared, embarrassed hungry, worried, and frustrated. So why do, you, why do we mix up our feelings and our reactions? And how can we help kids to express angry and frustration in a healthy way? The high energy emotions that you're talking about are often what people will conceptualize as the, the basic or the fundamental emotions. And there's this idea that everything else stems from something, uh, from these basic emotions like, uh, like happiness or sadness or fear, like you mentioned. And a lot of the high energy ones are the emotions that people are most familiar with in the way that they experience things because they're the ones that send us the strongest body signals. So um, anger, biologically, there are changes that happen in a person's body when they get angry. And this is sort of a holdover from human ancestral history. When anger got your body ready to fight whatever it is that was a threat. A lot of times anger will come from the experience of a threat or the violation of an expectation. The other place that anger can comes from is kind of a masking of emotions that lie underneath it. So we sometimes call anger the iceberg emotion. If you picture an iceberg in the ocean, what you can see if you're above the surface of the water is the tip of the iceberg. So what we can often see in adults and children is the anger, it's the iceberg emotion. But in order for that tip of the iceberg to be above the surface of the water, there has got to be something underneath it holding it up. And you only see that part of the iceberg if you happen to go underneath the surface. And that's often the same thing with anger. So anger is often held up by um, sadness or um, frustration 
disappointment, dejection, um, emotions that evolutionarily it might be good for us to hide. We may not want our social group to see us feeling um, dejected or rejected because that's not so great for us in terms of our survival if our group leaves us. But if we show anger, um, it's very clear to others what's going on and it's a signal to other people that they need to change their behavior and so therefore we might kind of ensure our inclusion in our social group a little more by, by showing anger. I think what happens when parents are surprised by their anger is that there's usually their anger towards their children when it doesn't seem like a big deal. Sure, you loved the lamp. Yes, the lamp broke, but as long as everybody is safe, ultimately, you're going to be fine. But what I think happens to parents is we don't recognize all of the underlying and, and split-second thoughts and feelings that buoy that anger. So I'm, I'm completely guessing here, but you may have had a thought that you didn't even recognize along the lines of, this particular child is too old to have broken this lamp. Or this particular child was not playing safely as I've instructed a hundred different times. And you may not even be aware of these things, but it's that this particular child violated your expectations of how he is to behave in the house. And this particular child um, had not, or maybe looked like he did not internalize a message that you've given him a number of times. And so the anger over those things that you're not even necessarily aware of when they're happening is what comes out. Though it's helpful that they get to see the range of your emotions. So something that, that I talk about a lot with parents is as long as you are in control, when you are in control, it's perfectly okay for your child to see you experience a range of emotions. It's okay for your child to see you cry. It's okay for your child to see you sad. It's okay for your child to see you angry as long as you're in control of your behavior and the emotions and the behavior are different. We'll talk about that another time. But as long as you're in control of your behavior, you don't have to be the happy mom all the time. That's not reality. What you can do by letting your children see you in different emotional states is model for them. This is what life is like. And these states come and go. Not, none of these are permanent. So I can sit with the uncomfortable and in a way embrace it, just like I can sit with the comfortable and embrace it. As you were talking, I'm like recounting all the times when I'm actively saying, I feel mad right now. <laughs> so this is a practice that I'm doing now instead of reacting where, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, as a, as a mom, when I, without control, without being able to self-regulate, I would just jump and have that emotional reaction and uh, as a response to the trigger. And now I can say, I feel mad right now. And sometimes I'll laugh and it's this recognition that, you know, you did something stupid. <laughs> like I've told you this a thousand times. It's just like, it's just that. And now I feel angry. And yes, the lamp got broken and I feel disappointed, but there'll be another lamp, right? Mm -hmm. I don't get so stressed as I did before. And the best thing that I've seen actually, that modeling behavior, my eight-year-old said to his older brother, who was, ex who was definitely showing his, his anger and, and we've been able to help him recognize it that, you know, when we, when, when I see you, you know, clenching your fists or your brow is furrowed, I can see you're angry right now. His younger brother says, oh, when, 
I feel angry, I can punch a pillow. Or I can listen to music. Just hearing him say what I've been saying, because I'm I actively engaging with them when I do feel uncomfortable. I want them to know, you know, or you know, if I need to if I have to have a timeout, if I'm feeling sad, I, I need a timeout right now. I just need to be by myself for a few minutes. And they re then they'll be respectful of that. So it's been it's been great because there is uh, this range of emotion. And I'm, as an entrepreneur, it's not always sunny days. And uh, so I've created the, the cloud cards. I use the cloud cards, um, which are blue, low energy, uncomfortable emotions, like sad, hurt, tired, sick, shy, and distracted. The symbol for these blue cards are clouds because when I when it is cloudy out, I feel tired. I don't want to go outside. I, I'm cold or I'm lethargic and I just want to just cur curl up in a blanket um, and I have I have lower energy so what what do you say to a child that is feeling sad or disappointed the first thing that you want to do um, and this is really fairly consistent across all age groups is validate tell yourself that that emotion that the child is feeling is okay don't rush to get rid of it we're, we're really quick to say oh don't be sad don't worry everything will be okay the child has every right to be sad. So don't be quick to get rid of the feeling. Validate. And, and you can validate very neutrally and non-judgmentally a statement like, I can see you're sad right now, or you look very frustrated, um, as opposed to a judgmental like, oh, so now you're frustrated? Communicates a very different message to the child, depending on what your tone is. So validating with a neutral tone communicates to the child that I see that you're sad. I see that you're frustrated. I see you. I accept you. I accept this emotion. And then what you do next really largely depends on what the child's goals are. So try not to be so quick to get rid of the sad. Sometimes, sometimes the child will want your help to get rid of the sad or the disappointment. Sometimes the child will just want company while they sit through that sad while it resolves on their own. Sometimes the child will want to be left alone while the disappointment resolves on its own. So you can... Rather than closing off the conversation by telling them, don't worry, don't be sad, you can open up the opportunity for them to talk more or just be more, be more with you by saying things like, what does sad feel like for you? What does it feel like in your body? What kinds of things does your brain tell you when you're sad? Then you're trying to get at the thoughts behind the emotion a little bit. You can say things like, have you ever felt sad before or have you ever felt like this before? And if the child says yes, then you can say, well, when? Tell me about that. Um, what did you do back then? If the child says, no, I never felt like this before, well, then you have an opportunity to communicate to them through your language and your body that it's safe to have an unfamiliar feeling and that you're going to get used to it together. So, hey, okay, you know, this, this must be what disappointed is like for you. What does that feel like in your body? What is your mind telling you? What's your brain telling you right now? Um, and, and, and so what you're doing through that whole interaction, and it, this could happen in 10 seconds or this could happen in four minutes, what you're doing through the whole interaction is you are sitting with the uncomfortable with the child. So your behavior and your mannerism is communicating uncomfortable is okay. Uncomfortable is just as okay as comfortable is. But let's say the child does want a shift from one emotion to the other. If you've got your deck of cards handy, you can identify the card that matches the current emotion, and you can have the child identify the card that matches the emotion that they want to move to, or give them an, 
an array. Give them a number of options. If I'm feeling sad or disappointed and I want to move out of this, do I want to move to calm or excited? And those are two different things. Every emotion comes with physiological experiences, body sensations. The high energy ones are the most obvious to us. Like you mentioned before, clenched fist, furrowed brow, rapid heart rate. But the low energy emotions do also come with physiological experiences or body sensations. And so one of the quickest ways to change an emotion is to change the physiological experiences that underlie it. Have the child get up, do some movements, jumping jacks, dancing, be silly, um, or regulate breathing. Change the rate and the speed of breathing because all of those activities will change the physiological experience, which will change the signals that the brain sends to the body, which will then change the emotion. So that's one option if you want to help move the child out of sad or disappointed. Um, there's also behind every emotion, there's some sort of thought or message that we're giving ourselves. And the, the same is true for children. And sometimes these messages are very hard to uncover. And sometimes they're very obvious. So something I'll do with my own children, if they seem to be stuck in an uncomfortable emotional state, is I'll try to narrow it down a little bit. And I'll say something like, what is your brain telling you? Or what are you telling yourself? What's the thought that's making you the most sad right now or the most disappointed right now. And sometimes they can say, oh, I'm the most sad because I didn't get to go first or I'm the most disappointed because I didn't get to go first. And then if they're ready, we can talk about, well, what does it mean to not get to go first? And are you afraid of losing something or missing out? And would you be able to deal with it if you missed out? And we kind of process what's underlying that strong emotion. So if your child wants to change, you can also help them identify that thought that's behind that strong emotion. Um, with some kids, distraction works, just simply moving on to a different activity or different conversation. Um, with other kids, reminding them of strategies they've used in the past to move from an uncomfortable to a more comfortable emotion works. And then for some kids, they want to feel better in the moment, but Whatever it is that's giving them this strong, uncomfortable emotion, they don't want to let that go. It's important. It's a big deal. But maybe they recognize that they have to get ready for school now or, you know, that they have to move on with their day. And so for some kids, it's really helpful to have a physical place where you can draw or jot down your emotions or your thoughts and then put, it, put that drawing, that physical representation in that place stuff it in a feelings box, um, stick it in a folder, um, save it into um, a file on your phone. And then the child knows that it's there when and if they want to come back to it, but that it's also okay in the moment to move on to a different activity. What you're talking about, it reminds me of an experience that I had substitute teaching. This was fourth grade. I had given the math lesson and said, turn to page 16, start on, on your independent work. And I came around and one boy had his book closed and I said, what's going on, buddy? You know, you're going to do your work. And he said, no, I'm feeling sad. And I said, oh, what happened? And he said, everybody knows. And I said, okay. So I went over to my box of game cards of mixed emotions because I always carry it with me. And I, I gave him the sad card and I said, I understand you're feeling sad. Here's a sad card. And if you want to trade it in, you let me know. And I came back a few minutes later and he had finished the page and 
he said, I'm ready to trade my card in now. It was a validation point for me that, okay, this is working. And it was for him, I wasn't trying to change how he was feeling. I was simply validating that feeling for him and letting him own it and sit with it. And I got 20, uh, 25 other kids in the class and I couldn't give him lots of attention. And he did, it wasn't that he really wanted to talk to me about it anyway. He wanted it to be okay that he was sad. And then he could get to back to the learning part, which is what I, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the ideal state for emotional, uh, for the ideal emotional state for learning is where we have our, our green clover cards, these low energy, comfortable emotions that help kids to, to feel that they're in that state of mind for learning. They have an open mind. They're calm, patient, kind, safe, peaceful, and grateful. So I think about when I uh, think about the clover cards, I think about grass and nothing bothers the clovers. They're pretty chill, just kind of hanging out, but they're able to take in that new information. So if this is true, do you have any suggestions as to how to encourage these feelings? Absolutely. I mean, it, there's, there is a lot of research that shows that the, the feelings that you describe, calm and peaceful, are feelings and states that underlie the cognitive processes that are really important for learning. Memory, attention, um, what we might call the executive functions, kind of all the brain's organizing capacities. I think your example of from your substitute teaching is one of the first things that can be done in a classroom, which is to, to accept children where they are, give them permission to experience a range of feelings, don't encourage them to fight uncomfortable feelings, because if they're using their cognitive energy to fight an uncomfortable feeling, then they don't have that cognitive energy left to learn the lesson or do their work. Um, and give them permission for those states to come and go, because all emotions do. No emotion is permanent. Everything comes and goes. On a much more basic level, there's this concept um, called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it, if you picture um, a, sort of a, a, a triangle or a pyramid um, with the most basic of the human needs being on the bottom and the less physical of the needs and the more cognitive, emotional, and self-concept-based um, needs at the top of the pyramid, the idea is that those base level needs need to be met before any of the higher level needs can be met. And those base level needs are things like food and safety and security and a feeling of belonging. And so this is why so many schools and so many classrooms have an emphasis on making sure that everybody's got something to eat and there's snack times and we take physical break times and that our kids in their classrooms feel safe and that our kids in their classrooms and in their school feel a sense of belonging to the community, uh, the school community, because all of those things help contribute to their safety and meet their lower level needs. And then to, to sort of draw the parallel with the game of mixed emotions would then allow them to be in the emotional states of calm, peaceful, such that then their brains are primed for learning. Um, one of the other things that... Um, we know is that the brain does pay attention to novel things. Something new will harness a person's attention more than something that they've habituated to or become familiar with. So it sounds a little counterintuitive, but in order for brains to be able to 
process the new information that might come from instructing and from learning, everything else going on around sort of has to be routine and almost boring. We don't have to think about it. So we want a structured classroom. We want a classroom that runs on with routines. We want teachers who help to set expectations for the kids, which then lets their brains pay attention to whatever the new information is um, and not have to pay attention to all that that um, background stuff. And then, and then the last thing we want in order to facilitate that optimal state of learning is um, work or lessons, activities, whatever it is that balances challenge and the ability to demonstrate competence or confidence. So we want kids to feel a measure of success so that they're motivated to continue working on or learning or listening to whatever we're doing, but we want them to be challenged enough so that there is new information for their brain to be attracted to, um, to seek their novelty. And the, the, the trickiest part, I think, is that that balance could potentially be different for every single child. So it's an enormous job that, um, that our teachers are doing to set the tone for learning for all of the students in their classrooms. Oh, yeah. So we have a great deal of respect for teachers. I just had a, a short stint as a substitute teacher for a few months, but it was the hardest job that I have ever done. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Melanie. I have learned so much from you. And is there anything else that you would like to share? I would love to just maybe repeat by now um, my favorite part of, of the game of mixed emotions, which is that the comfortable and uncomfortable emotions are given equal weight in the game. And so it's not like the uncomfortable cards are the bad cards or the undesirable cards or the ones we try to discard really quickly when we're playing the game. They're just as important as the comfortable cards. And I think that's a beautiful message that the game sends to children, which is everything here in this deck is important for the playing of this game. Every emotion, and what we're really saying is every emotion is important for a full life. And we're going to accept every emotion that comes from you. This is not the game of mixed behavior. So we are not necessarily going to accept every behavior that comes from you. But that's, that's something that we can talk about another time. But we're going to accept every single emotion and we're going to try to understand and we're going to try to make you or help you live with that experience of of the full range of emotions it's just absolutely my favorite part of the game that everything gets every emotion gets equal billing so thank you so on that note uh i we will come back and we have a lot more to talk about uh so we hope you'll join us again in the meantime we encourage you to follow follow us on uh on social media at mixed emotions game and uh, we have a, a facebook group that we're starting so you can sign up for that where we'll share questions, please do share questions that you have and we'll try to answer those in future sessions and we'll be happy to, to get to your questions. But we also want to hear from you about how you're using the cards in your family or uh, in your classroom. If you're using the game, please do share with us uh, what experience that you've had. If you have some stories, we love stories. Um, so uh, on, in closing, the game of mixed emotions helps kids to feel happier, healthier, and more successful. And we hope you're having a great day.